And you may be seated. Am I a friend of God? Am I a friend of God? I think that's a powerful question for us to ask ourselves this morning. In the Christian church context, am, am, I, a friend, am I a friend of God? As we walk through the Gospels, we'll find that Jesus, he had this group of people that walked with him and followed him. And the group of people that followed Jesus, they were known as disciples. Can you say that with me today? A disciple. Disciples. That's an important word. A disciple is someone who is a learner. A disciple is someone who is a pupil. A disciple is someone who is a, a follower. It was the task of the disciple to learn, to study, and pass along the sayings and the teachings of the master. The disciple, the more that he followed the master, would devote himself to the master, and he would devote himself to the master's teaching to the degree that ultimately his life would be a reflection of the master, and he would pass on the teachings of the master to others. A disciple is one who is a follower. Now, I've tried to spend my lifetime being a student and reading. If you look at my library, a huge percentage of the books in my library are dedicated to the subject of leadership. <clears throat> I believe that leadership is important. I believe leadership is, is very, very important. I believe that we need to have good leaders. But can I tell you that the longer that I serve the Lord, the more that I believe that really what we need more of is not more good leaders as much as we need more good followers. That's a really good time. I'm overcoming jet lag for you to say amen. <laughs> we need more followers of Jesus. There's a lot of people that talk about Jesus. There's a lot of talk about leadership. But the real question this morning is, will I follow Jesus? Am I a friend of God? I don't, this doesn't just serve as an indictment. I don't mean to make this too personal. But there's a lot of people that sing the song, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. But the truth of the matter is, they're not qualified to sing the song, I am a friend of God. Because I sing the song, I am a friend of God, does not arbitrarily and automatically make me a friend of God. Amen. Now, maybe especially in, in light of 21st century America, we have what I'll call social media bias. And what do you mean by that? I mean that in some ways our definition of friend has changed. Now, if you go onto my Facebook page, you're going to be so proud of me here this morning. I have, I have 2,400 friends on Facebook. Can I tell you something right now, though? Those people ain't my friends. <laughs> I mean, just because you click a little blue button that says friend, and if I send you a friend request or you send me a friend request and we click a little button that says friend, that is not the definition of friendship because I can click a blue button that says friend. That doesn't make me a friend. As a matter of fact, furthermore, I, because, because I say I am a friend of a famous person, doesn't make me their friend. Some of you may, may know uh, none other than the illustrious general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. His name is Brother David K. Bernard. I have had, I have had lunch with Brother Bernard. I, I have had conversations with Brother Bernard. I've sent an email to Brother Bernard, and he's returned that email. We, we have had conversations together, one-on-one -on -one conversations. 
I could try to get away with saying here this morning, Brother Bernard is my, me, me and him are like buds. We're like pals. We go on like fishing trips together and we hang out together and we're like on a first name basis. But, but we're not. I could say that we are associates. I could say that we're acquaintances. I could say that we're, that we're brothers. But, but, but when you use this word friend, and this is a friend day, I think it's really important to define this. When you say friend, you're now talking about like next level. That's more than just an acquaintance. That's more than just someone you know. That's more than someone you can give a high five or a handshake to or more than someone that you can just make a claim about and say, man, I love you. Hey, bro. Hey, you're, 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 that doesn't make me their friend necessarily. I've got books in my library that I've studied people. I've got a three-volume set on, on a president named Teddy Roosevelt, and I've, I've read that. I've read about Winston Churchill. Now, obviously, these guys are dead, so... If I said I was their friend, you wouldn't believe me anyway, because they're not alive anymore. But you know what? I can read a lot about somebody, and I can know a lot about them. I, I can have a, not, a lot of knowledge about them. I can, I can quote statistics all about uh, Teddy Roosevelt or Winston Churchill, but that doesn't make them my, my friend. So I think this message this morning demands the question to be asked, what is a friend? If, if I'm going to sing the song, I am a friend of God, what does it mean to be a friend? If God is my friend, and I, and, and I would say here this morning, can I just posit this to the congregation that I want to be a friend of God? And I hope everybody in this church, you came here to do more than punch a spiritual time clock. I hope you're here with a sincere, innate, interior, real desire in your heart to really know God. In fact, let me just say this. This church has got to be more than a religious institution. You've got to be able to do more than just say, man, I, I, I went to church. I, I, the hope is that all of us that are here today, we do more than just come to this place, but, but we get to know the God that's behind this church. That we can genuinely, what I offer to you here today is that you can have a relationship with Almighty God. There is a God that wants to know you, and if you want to know him, the good news is today that he will make himself known to you, and you can know God, and you absolutely can have a relationship with God. If you will qualify yourself, you can be a friend of God. But it's not just because I went to church one day and it's not just because I sang the song I am a friend of God what is a friend what does it mean to be a friend the definition of friend is a person attached to another by feelings of affection or personal reg regard it implies a mutual loyalty and a sharing of regard and a sharing of life George Eliot said and I quote oh the comfort the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and then with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. You know what? When you're with a friend, you can be real. You can really be yourself. I would say this, and this is a friend day, that I think it's really important that we treat our friends right. It's one thing to be a friend. It's another thing to really, one of the greatest treasures in this world that we can have is a friend. And I believe that God wants us to treat our friends the right way. There are qualities that are in a friend. You say, what is it that makes a friend a friend? 
What makes a friend a friend, I would say, is that you are protective of the person that you call your friend. You look out for your friends. You care about their well-being. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3 says it like this. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Isn't that a great scripture? Isn't that a scripture that would work so well if we really put that into our hearts and we live that scripture out? We treated other, our friends better than we treated our, we esteemed them better than we esteem ourselves. He said, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. New Living Translation says it like this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Wouldn't that solve so many of the world's problems? Can I tell you what the problem of the world is today? The problem of the world today is that people are selfish. That's good preaching right there. In other words, they're after themselves. They're after what they want. They're after their own personal interest. But oh, to be a true friend that cares about other people. I would say that to be a friend to somebody requires this old-fashioned word that I love so much. The word is loyalty. We're loyal to our friends. Loyal to our friends. There's a saying that says, with friends like that, who needs enemies? You ever heard that saying before? My daughter had a friend growing up, and they got into a dispute, and they got into an argument, and this friend, this friend told my daughter, you ought to just go kill yourself. Can I tell you something this morning? That is not a friend. A friend is someone that's got your back. A friend is someone that's loyal. A friend is someone that when the going gets rough, they don't run out on you. They're going to stick by your side. They'll be a friend until the end. That's the kind of friend that I want to be, and that's the kind of friends that I want to have. And furthermore, that's the way I want to be a friend of my God. I want to be loyal to the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. That means when you're around a bunch of people that aren't Christian people, you don't act different around them than you act around Christian people because you're loyal to the Lord. Because you've made a commitment to God and you're a real friend of God, that means that you're a friend until the end. Amen. If we're going to have friends, we got to work on our friendships. I'll make, a, uh, I'll make a personal admission here this morning. I'm working on my friendships right now. I'm working on my friendships. Last year, I got in the car and I I took an eight-hour drive because it's important. If we're going to have friends, we got to maintain those friendships. We got to stay connected. We got to we got to work at it. I've been trying to send books to my friends. I I hate the telephone, but I'm working on the telephone because if you're going to have a friend, guess what? You got to stay in contact with that friend. You can't let friends just drift away. Amen. In his first seasons with the Brooklyn Dodgers, Jackie Robertson, the first black man to play Major League Baseball, faced venom nearly everywhere he traveled. Fastballs at his head, spikings on the bases, brutal epithets from the opposing dugouts and from the crowds. During one game in Boston, the taunts and racial slurs seemed to reach a peak. In the midst of this, another Dodger, a Southern named Pee Wee Reese, called timeout. He walked from his position at shortstop toward Robinson at second base, put his arm around Robinson's shoulder, and stood there with him for what seemed a long time. Robinson later said, he said, that arm around my shoulder saved my career. 
Because that's what a friend does. What a friend does is a friend is loyal. I want you to think with me this morning of the words that Jesus shared in John 15. He said, greater love, Jesus said this, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. It's pretty cool. From this, he says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, Jesus said, from this point forward, you have been my disciples. He said, but from this point forward, I'm not going to call you just my disciples. He said, I will call you my friends. He said, the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my father have I made known unto you. So the question this morning is, how will I know that I am a friend of God? I sing the song, I am a friend of God, but how, according to the scripture, according to John 15, how am I going to know that I'm a friend of God? I'm so glad that you asked. There's two ways that you're going to know, according to the scripture, that you are a friend of God. Notice what Jesus said in John 15 and 14. He said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Wow. You want to know how you're a friend of God? Jesus gave one qualification. The qualification, he said, you're going to know that you're a friend of God if you do the things that Jesus commands you to do. Can I tell you, it's one thing to make a claim, I'm a Christian. It's one thing to say, oh, I love Jesus. It's another thing, many people, it's easy believism. People say, oh, I believe in God. The devils believe in God. It's not enough to just say that I believe in God. He said that if, if you keep my commandments, you are going to know that you are a friend of God. I don't know about you, but I want to walk the walk. I don't know about you, but I want to talk the talk. I don't know about you, but I want to find out what Jesus wants out of my life because I want to qualify for spiritual friendship with Jesus. And the way for that to happen is to know what it is that God likes and then to do the things that God likes. If it's in the word of God, I don't care what this world has to say. I want to obey Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to, I want to obey the words of Jesus because he said that if you do what I command you, he said, you are going to be my friends I want to live this life I want to obey the Lord I want to do God's will in my life and Jesus said that if you do that he said I'm gonna call you my friend the second thing he said very very interesting he said henceforth I call you not servants for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth he said but I call you friends he said, from this point forward, you're not just going to be called my servant. He said, from this point forward, you're going to be called my friend. What does that mean? That means that before I have friendship with Jesus, you know what starts first? I've got to be a servant of Jesus before I become a friend of Jesus. I hope I'm preaching to a church this, this morning that's saying, I want to serve the Lord. Because the only way to become a friend with Jesus is, first of all, to serve Jesus. Without becoming a disciple and a follower, then I can't claim friendship. Friendship with Jesus is a result of servanthood. It's a result of time spent. It's a result of years following. It's a result of spending time serving Jesus, having the right attitude, having the right heart, that my motive and my mission in life is to be a servant of Jesus. My joy is to do his 
will. My desire is to follow his plan. My desire is to follow after the Lord and to serve the Lord. And guess what? If I serve the Lord long enough, according to the scripture, I graduate to the next level of relationship with Jesus, which is friendship. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And the truth of the matter is that a lot of people that sing the song, I am a friend of God, they don't qualify to genuinely be a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. He was diligent. He was faithful. So let's not downgrade the value of friendship with God. Not everyone is a friend of God, but the good news is if I want to be a friend of God, I can become a friend of Jesus. Jesus had friends. It's interesting to me as we walk through the Gospels and his busyness, he had friends. He had 12 specific friends that he called disciples. They were his friends, Simon Peter, Andrew, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas. And he came to a point with these 12 disciples. He said, at this point right now, I'm not just calling you servants anymore. He said, but now I'm calling you my friends. There are two specific friends that I want to talk about this morning, and I want to kind of contrast them. Two friends of Jesus. One friend of Jesus, his name was John. John was a friend of Jesus, but John wasn't just any ordinary friend of Jesus. John was Jesus' best friend. I think that's pretty cool. He was so close to Jesus that, and it's maybe, it it appears to be when you read the Gospels, it appears to be self-serving because as you read through the book of John, you'll find this reference over and over again. He he uses this this reference. He says, he says, the one whom Jesus loved, and he was talking about himself. That's not just self-confidence, though. I think he had qualified himself through a life of walking with Jesus and serving Jesus. Notice with me John chapter 13 and verse number 23. It says, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples. Again, there's that phrase, whom Jesus loved. He had his head on Jesus' breast. They were reclining. Oh, they're all you know, for lack of a better word, they're hanging out together. The disciples are hanging out with Jesus, and there he is. He is in close connection with Jesus. Literally, as he's laying his head on his chest, uh, he can hear the heartbeat of Jesus. He's so close to Jesus that he can hear his heartbeat. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask him who it should be of whom he spake. He then that was lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? In other words, he was so close to Jesus that he had the heartbeat of Jesus. uh, And all the other disciples knew that John was close enough uh, that he had an inside track to inside information. And they asked John, who is a best friend of Jesus, John, you ask him this question because obviously you've got favor with him. I don't know about you, but I want to be in a position with Jesus that I have favor with him because I have a relationship with him. There are people that graduate to a level of sacrifice and walking with the Lord that they've got an inside track. And this is far more than religion, us just going to church. But oh God, somehow or another, that we could have a connection with God and a relationship with God and an inside track with God that we could hear his heartbeat, that we could know him, that we could could have a, a request that would be heard of Jesus because we have become a friend of Jesus and we have a relationship with Jesus uh, and we are close uh, with Jesus that was who John was John was like a best friend of Jesus 
It's very interesting to me that among the last duties of Jesus as he's hanging upon the cross and that liquid love is coming out of his veins and before he breathes his last breath, one of the most precious things he has in this world, he has no place to lay his head, he doesn't have a home of his own, he's not married, but one of the most precious things that he has, what does he have? He has his mother. He, Jesus loved his mother. And one of the last statements that he made while he's hanging on the cross, it's amazing the level of awareness that Jesus has and the care and concern that he has for his earthly mother. And one of the last things he says is he looks at his best friend. And what does he say? He says, woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. He has so much confidence in this best friend of his, John, this disciple who had become a friend of his, who had been loyal to him, who had, who had looked out for him, that the most precious prized possession that he has, Joe, is his, is his mother. He probably would have been drawn in that basket doing the same thing you did. <laughs> Amen. We need to play some pickleball this week, by the way. But what does he do? What does he do? He, he's looking out for his mother. I, I, I was think, contemplating this yesterday and reading through this passage. I never thought about it. Never thought about it. And it's in conjunction. I preached a message earlier this year about the resurrection and how Paul specifically mentions James, who is his half-brother. It's interesting, while he's hanging there on the cross, why, why does he make sure that John is going to take care of his mother? Because his mother has other sons. You realize that? His mother has other sons that could have potentially, you would think, taken care of his mother. But here, here is a disciple that knew his heart, that had his mission, that had his purpose in mind, that was so close to him. He doesn't even trust his earthly brothers, his mother to his earthly brothers. He says, woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. Why? Because, because John, man, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Because John was a friend of Jesus. John had that kind of a relationship of faithfulness and diligence and servanthood and and he had walked with him through thick and through thin. He had proven himself faithful. When all the opportunities came that he could have walked away, John didn't walk away. John was faithful to his Lord. John loved Jesus. John was dedicated to Jesus and in the end John was called a friend of Jesus. Amen. I don't know about you, that's the kind of friend I want to be. Now, I'm going to contrast this, I would suppose, with a little bit of conviction. Because there's another friend among the disciples whose name is Judas. Now, Judas, it's almost like when you say his name, I almost sense like a collective sigh, like, like oh, Judas. He's going to talk about Judas now. But Judas had a good start like all the other disciples did. As a matter of fact, Judas is, a Greek, is the Greek rendition of the Hebrew. His name Judas comes from the Hebrew of Judah. Judah. Judah is a good name. Judah means praise. Judah is a, Judah is a good name. So he started out good. He was a follower of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He saw all the same miracles that everybody else had seen. He'd experienced the mountaintop experiences with Jesus. He'd been through the valley low. He'd been through the ups and the downs. He'd been through the challenges, the adversities. He had been like all the other disciples. He, he could sing the song, I am a friend of God. 
because he, he was. He was among that crew. He was called a friend of God. He, in, among the disciples, was the secretary of Jesus. He was the one that when, when uh, ministerial funds would come in, he took care of them. He was, he was the secretary. But I want you to know something about this friend of Jesus. This friend of Jesus, something started to go a little sideways in his life. In John 12 and verse number 3, notice, notice uh, Judas's response. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the anointment. Somebody say that's a good thing. That was the equivalent of about a year's wages. It was, it was extreme worship. She took something of high value that she had spent all of her savings on because she knew that Jesus was very quickly going to be going to the cross. She broke that, that box open. She poured out that oil. She, she gave extravagant worship to her God. Can I tell you that it's in line when you're in church to give extravagant worship to the Lord? Sometimes our worship is not just based on how we feel. We don't want to just give cheap worship to God. We want to give Jesus something that is, is valuable to us. Amen. People may come into our church and not understand that. People may come into this church and say, I don't get why you people act the way that you act because you don't know what we know. You don't get why we act the way we act because you don't know where we came from. Come on, you don't know how Jesus found us in the gutter. You don't know how Jesus delivered us from addiction. You don't know how mixed up, messed up, and screwed up our lives were. But Jesus did something in our lives so significant that we've got to show him what he means to us. We worship him with radical abandon. We give him from our heart and from our spirit because he's been so good to us. The amazing thing is this woman did that and when she did that, there was a, a, a scent that filled the room. There was a sweetness that filled the room. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. There's a reason why when people come into our church and they, and, and Rosie, you saw it on the, on, the, on the screen this morning when they say, I don't know why I walked into church and tears started coming out of my eyes and, and I felt goosebumps go up and down my spine and I felt something that I never felt before because some worshiper showed up in this place before you ever came. And as they began to magnify the Lord, it fills the room with a beautiful scent. It's the scent of extravagant worship. It's because he's done so much for me. I've got to bless his name. I got to say thank you Jesus. I may get out in the aisle and do a little jig. I may put my hands in the air and it may seem to be odd and strange to some but you know what? It wasn't strange when I was at the rock concert throwing my hands in the air, standing on a chair screaming at the top of my lungs if I could do that for the world, how much more ought I to give my God that washed my sins away and filled me with the Holy Ghost? How much more ought I to give him worship? And you know what? Somebody that's a friend of Jesus is going to appreciate someone's extravagant worship. Amen. Before I was ever in the church, and we started visiting Pentecostal church. It was all weird. It just was. It was strange. I grew up a Methodist church, going to Methodist church, never been to Pentecostal church, and it kind of freaked me out. So when I'm standing in church and my mother would start to lift her hand up, I'd want to reach over there and like pull it down because it felt weird. 
And I just thought, you know what, Ma, you lift your hand up. Everybody in this church, they're going to be looking at you. And I've watched these Pentecostal people, and they get this holy huddle thing going on. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. But you know what, when someone is really, if somebody's a lover of Jesus and someone else is giving extravagant worship to God, the last thing in the world you ever want to do is stop them from giving worship to Jesus. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. What you say is, that's right, brother, you go ahead and worship the Lord. Last thing you want to do is stop someone's extravagant worship of the Lord. You want to encourage more of that worship because something happens to the room. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to get back to my scripture here, but something happens in the room when somebody extravagantly worships Jesus. Oh, to God that this church would continue to be filled with pure, unadulterated worship to the Lord. Extravagant worship to the Lord. Worship that cost us something. As a matter of fact, maybe someone that needs the Holy Ghost here today, you'll get the Holy Ghost if you can get beside yourself and begin to magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together as we begin to worship the Lord can I tell you that there is a divine attraction of the presence of God to heartfelt worship He's attracted to it. He dials in on it. He's got to come. He's got to be a part because when he sees someone that is sincerely and extravagantly worshiping, Jesus shows up in those environments. Oh, praise God. And we who know the Lord know there is a great secret in that, which is why we worship the Lord the way that we do. In this passage, though, notice with me, Mary brings this pound, this pound of ointment of spikenard, very expensive, very costly. And notice the response of one of the disciples. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? That sounds like a very spiritual statement until you recognize what's going on behind the scenes of that statement. He's like, you know what, we, we could have, that, that stupid lady right there, Jesus, she shouldn't have taken that, that very expensive ointment. We could have sold that and think of all the good things that we could have done. And that sounded very spiritual. But verse number six tells us the real motive why he was saying what he was saying. It wasn't because he wanted to give to the poor. It's because he was a thief. I didn't say that. The Bible said that. This, he said, verse number six, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. He could have been singing the song, I am a friend of God, because he was. He was a disciple. He'd been walking with Jesus. He'd saw the same miracles that everybody else had seen. He, he had been a part of the ministry excursions of Jesus. He'd been on the mountaintops, and, and yet... I hate to say this, but something got into his heart. While he's walking with Jesus, while he's seeing the miracles, while he's seeing the dynamic of, of, of God Almighty at work, he's watching all this, and yet all of that time, something is weaseling its way into his heart. A greed got a hold of him. 
Selfishness got a hold of him. Me, 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 got a hold of him. Until it wasn't about Jesus anymore, it was about himself. And ultimately we find that Judas sold out Jesus Christ. He didn't like what Jesus was doing. And, and the Bible says that he went to the chief priests and that he sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Now, he was among the disciples. He was among them. He, he could say and sing the song, I am a friend of God. Maybe somewhere along the line, he thought his plans were better. Somewhere along the line, the love of money got into him. Or maybe it was the love of his own will and his own plan. Somehow he had walked with Jesus. He, he had been a friend of Jesus. He saw all the same thing that all the other disciples saw of Jesus. And yet, here he was, same crowd, same miracle, same Jesus, same place. And yet, at some point, he no longer subjugated his will to the will of his friend and potentially forced his will over the will of God. And the Bible says uh, that Judas sold him out. And Matthew 26 and 48 says, Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, and of course it goes down in infamy, Judas's kiss, as he sells him out in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he kisses him, says, That's going to be the one. And he said, Hold him fast. Matthew 26, 49, and forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and the Bible says, kissed him. I find this amazing, and, and some of you are going to maybe want to do your homework this afternoon, come back, report to me tonight, and tell me what you find, because I'm not, I'm not sure about it. Jesus, though, interesting, notice what he says. Jesus said unto him, friend. I... I don't know if that was a matter of conviction. I don't know what that was. But can you imagine being the one that sold out Jesus? You kiss his cheek, signifying he's the one that, that soldiers you are to take. And Jesus stands there and he calls him friend. How that must have pierced his soul and pierced his heart, the daggers, knowing that in short order they were going to beat the fire out of Jesus, the excruciating pain, the excruciating shame of the whole moment, and Judas sold him out. By all definitions of friendship, Judas was no longer a friend of God because someone that is your friend will not sell you out for the right price. Someone who is your friend will not talk behind your Someone who is your friend, amen, will be loyal to you and will stand by you and will stick with you until the end. They will be loyal. I end this message with one simple, singular question to all of us, myself included. What kind of friend of Jesus will you be? Will you be John? Or will you be Judas? I don't know about you. I want to be John. I want to be faithful to the Lord until the very end. Let's stand together this morning.
Maybe the next time we sing that song, maybe that song, instead of being a declaration, maybe that song could become a question. Maybe that song could be an opportunity for me every time I sing that song to ask myself the question, what kind of friend will I be? Am I going to be like John or am I going to be like Judas? Maybe it will bring conviction with it. Maybe that song will help to remind me that I want to be a true friend of God. Amen. I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. Jesus, thank you, Lord, so much. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the miracles. Thank you for the mountaintops. Thank you, Lord, for truth. Thank you for life. Thank you for opportunity. There's one thing we know about this Sunday today, Lord. Church is a chance. It's a chance. Every seven days a Sunday rolls around and we're given the opportunity, oh God, Lord, to be in your presence. We're given the opportunity to be with you and to fellowship with you. We're given the opportunity to hear your word. We're given the chance to sing songs of worship and prayer and praise. And Lord, on this opportunity here today, we want to check in with you today. We've heard about being a friend, and oh God, help us to be a loyal, faithful friend of God so that when we sing that song, we can sing it out of a heart of faithfulness to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray.